Welcome to the ITA Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle McNamara, the Director of Coach Education at the ITA. And I'm really excited to bring you this next episode. Justin DeSanto has taken what many would consider to be an untraditional path to becoming a Division I head coach. In June of 2021, he was named the head men's tennis coach at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, his first head coaching job, after having worked his way up from a volunteer coach with the Yale women's team to an assistant coach at Division III powerhouse Williams College, followed by five seasons as an assistant for the Wichita State men's team. All of this with zero college tennis playing experience. As a matter of fact, Justin didn't start playing tennis until he was in high school. But his story proves the point that great coaches don't have to be great players. Listen to this episode to learn more about Justin's amazing rise up the coaching ranks, plus all the fantastic work he is doing in the wheelchair tennis space. Well, welcome, Justin, to the ITA Coaches Podcast. I am so excited to have you as our guest today. Thanks, Danielle. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, this is going to be fun. So I guess I'd like to just kind of start off with you sharing your tennis story, because it's a, it's a really unique one, and I think one that many people will be able to relate to at least some element of it. So can you tell us how you got involved in tennis, a little bit about your playing background and what your pathway in college coaching has looked like? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. This, this may take a little bit, but uh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, so, yeah, I picked up my first for my playing background. I picked up a racket for the first time in my life, February of my senior year of high school. So I, I was in a Spanish club and the Spanish club teacher was the 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 tennis coach and I was just like oh I'm looking for a sport to play and she's like oh come out for the tennis team uh so that's kind of how it happened and and uh I was always I always played basketball I ran track I loved I love I played almost every sport growing up but never tennis and uh picked up a racket and uh kind of fell in love with it it was it was something that I hadn't really been I hadn't really seen that in sport where I kind of control my own destiny even though I'm still kind of on a team and I kind of just, we, we actually had 22 kids on our, our high school team and, wow. and only seven played. And, and we had like a ladder, a challenge ladder. And I uh, worked my way through that and got the seven. So I got to play the second doubles team. <laughs> uh, so did that for a year and then uh, did that for really two months and then, and then uh, graduated and uh, loved it so much. I just started taking lessons um, mm-hmm. from, a, from a man named Don Cassatori and and eventually Don said, hey, if you want to help me out with these little kids clinics, then I'll give you your lessons for free. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, did that and um, had aspirations to play at the Division Three level at Wilkes University and went out for the team uh, uh, come fall. Had only been playing for about seven months and, and uh, didn't make the cut. So I, I asked the coach if I could if I could try again. And, you know, he kind of made it clear in a nice way that that it was going to be pretty tough for me. Uh, um. And which I which I didn't understand at the time, and and now uh, that coach was Chris Light, and and I really like Chris. He's a great guy, and 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 uh, I, I understand it a lot more now as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, even if I'm beating your number twelve player, it doesn't really matter. You're not going to replace a guy that's been there for two three years. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so so uh, so yeah, I, uh, I I didn't let that stop me though. I kept taking lessons and giving lessons to little kids as much as I could, learning from Don. And uh, then I got a job at the club at at uh, 18 years old and uh, the club that Don had worked at and I trained at. Um, mm-hmm. So I started coaching little kids, worked my way up to kids a little bit older, some adult clinics. And then uh, a year later, I saw a job open at Wyoming Area High School. 
And I said to Don, I said, Hey, do you think I can coach high school tennis? And he was like, yeah, I think so. And he goes, those, he goes, I used to coach at Wyoming area so I can help you out. And I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. great. They were Owen 36, uh, the previous three years. So, uh, I don't think they had a high standard, but they basically <laughs> told me when I interviewed that I was too young and, mm-hmm. and I was, I said, okay, well, you know, I'm really mature for my age and, uh, you know, I can make it work around my college schedule. And, mm-hmm. They said, yeah, we'll let you know. And then I got a call a week later, like, were you at the school board meeting? And I was like, no. And they're like, oh, you got hired as the head coach. And oh, wow. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so now I'm the head coach at 19 of a, of a high school tennis team. And uh, we went one and 11, two and 10, and then eight and four in my third year. Um, and we made the district tournament. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty fun ride and learned a lot there. And and then kind of the, it felt like the same exact conversation. I said to Don, hey, now that I'm graduating college, do you think I could coach division three? And he's like, yeah, for sure. Let me make a call for you. And uh, then I went to Marywood University, uh, mm-hmm. which was a division three women's program and uh, got to work, got, got to work alongside a great coach there uh, who I actually coached against in high school in, in my high school mm-hmm. days. And yeah, we, we won the conference for the first time in 10 years in my first year there. Um, so that was really fun. And uh, yeah, then after that, I, I was kind of trying to figure out, okay, how can I, how can I further my, my, my coaching knowledge? And, and I, I heard that our head coach was going to retire. So I was like, I want to put myself in a position to be the head coach at Marywood. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting in, 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 the, in my parents' basement, uh, cause I was still living at home and saying to my friend, I said, man, how cool would it be if I could like get to a position where I'm like a head division three tennis coach? Uh-huh. That would be amazing. I go and like my end goal, I said, I know it's, you know, it was only $7,000 to be that head coach. Um, <laughs> but I said, I said, it would be amazing to, to one day get to a position maybe where I can make like $30,000 coaching tennis. Uh-huh. Um, I was like, that would be great. So maybe I could do that with, with coaching uh, a D3 and running some clinics. And anyway, I uh, trying to figure that out. I, I reached out to Wilson and I said, Hey, I would love to go work at any of your camps to learn from a great coach. And uh, they wrote me back and said, we have an opening in Jacksonville, Florida, University of North Florida, who I'll probably talk about a couple of times here. But Adam Schechterly was the head coach there. And uh, he's my biggest mentor and the reason I'm, I'm where I am today. But, um, but uh, Adam called me and he said, I remember I was hitting some tennis balls with my friend at the time. I picked up my phone. And he said, hey, it's the coach from North Florida, Adam Schechterly. And I heard you want to come down here and, and, and uh, work our camp. And I said, oh, yeah, I would love to. That'd be great. Um, mm-hmm. And he goes, well, I only pay $350 a week. So I don't think it's going to be worth your time because you have to come all the way down to Florida from Pennsylvania. And uh, I just think, I don't think you're going to make money. And I said, oh, I'm not looking to make money. I just, I just want experience. I said, hopefully I break even. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I, I, I drove down to Jacksonville, Florida. And um, I found uh, at the time, Airbnb and Uber weren't really things. So I found... Uh, I found uh, someone on Craigslist to stay in their on their couch for two hundred dollars a two hundred dollars a week um, for the weeks I was down there. Wow. And then I uh, I found this guy and he, he was giving me uh, rides to and from camp. It was only about two miles, but it was all highway for for ten dollars away. Uh, so I would pay him ten dollars away, and uh, and that was also on the ride share on Craigslist. Um, and Adam laughed at me pretty hard because every day I pulled up, this guy with a duct taped bumper was taking me to work. <laughs> Uh, so he would laugh pretty hard at that, but, uh, yeah, Adam, the first time I walked through the door, it was for the staff meeting for camp and Adam's like, no way you're here. And I was like, yeah. 
he's didn't like, believe he's it. Like, yeah, he's like, he's like, I did not expect you to show up. Oh so my gosh. He's like, oh, it's the guy from Pennsylvania. But obviously at this point, uh, you know, I coached some high school and uh, one year D3 women and, and uh, I didn't, I still, I didn't know much, but uh, yeah. Adam took me under his wing and, and really uh, taught me a lot and, and also just instilled a lot of confidence in me with giving mm-hmm. me my own courts. And, um, you know, one day he said, well, one of the days of the three weeks I was there, he said, hey, you can coach D1, but because of your playing background that is non-existent, you're, 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 you're going you're gonna to have to volunteer. And, uh, uh-huh. uh, and he knew that with playing background was non-existent because he put me up against a 12-year-old at camp and I lost. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, he, uh, yeah, he said, I'm, I want to help you volunteer, find a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Job. So, so yeah, that's when I started looking for volunteer positions and mm-hmm. you know, probably sent out about 50 emails and got about five responses. <laughs> Um, uh, so, so I really appreciate, uh, five people really stick out and that you're one of those people, obviously, uh, ended up being your volunteer, but, but you, Bruce Burke at Michigan at the time, Claire Pollard at, at, uh, Northwestern, uh, Mark Finnegan, who was at Memphis as an assistant mm-hmm. and, uh, Paul Costin, who was the head coach for men and women at VCU. Those five people reached out to me and and wanted to talk to me. And uh, Bruce wasn't quite ready to make the hire, but really gave me a great chance to to tell him what I was about. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Finnegan the same. Um, and then uh, Claire definitely said she wanted a hitter at the time, and that was fine. Mm-hmm. I understood that. And then um, yeah, and then you and and Paul and and I ended up visiting uh, VCU and getting the offer from them. And and then uh, also talking a lot to you and and I think I kind of put a little pressure on you and said hey mm-hmm. VCU kind of made me offer and then you called me back pretty quickly and you know you said all right we, we want to make you the offer too to come here and be our volunteer at Yale so so yeah I had a decision to make and I felt like Yale was in the in the right position to, to help me get to the next spot and uh, obviously I really respected what you had done as a coach and Adam always told me to, to make sure you uh, are picking coaches that you think can help champion you to the next level. And uh, that's what I saw in Yale. And obviously, as a program that was right on the cusp of top 30, uh, I thought that was the, the next best step for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can keep going. <laughs> yeah, so, so you come to Yale for a year. Yep. And then tell us about that. By the way, it was one of my better coaching decisions I ever made. So uh, you were you were fantastic. I I mean your work ethic was unbelievable, and I, and I would like you to to share maybe a little bit about because vol- being a volunteer coach is tough. Obviously, you know you're really limited in how you can make money um, with the rules, and you know, but that that I think that was good advice from Adam. Like probably the the next best step for you, like for other coaches that are in that position. Maybe we just like pause here, and then I I want to hear the rest of your story. Sure. Um, sure. But what advice might you have for someone that's just getting into the profession as a volunteer? Like what, what tips do you have? Yeah, I think, I think obviously, um, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't work out as well for me with getting a lot of lessons at, at, Mm -hmm. uh, at Yale right away. But um, I think that's one thing, you know, I've helped a couple of people now become volunteers, some of my ex players, and and I just tell them to really try to vet that process and, and say, Hey, do you guys have clinics in place? Is that something that I can take over? Um, cause you know, sometimes either they, even the head or the assistant coach need that to, to yeah. survive. And, um, you know, I know I've, I've been, I've had an inside look to Notre Dame men's tennis and, and the way they did it. And, uh, they had 
a volunteer making more money than most assistants and some head coaches. Um, mm-hmm. And they just did a great job with their, their Irish tennis clinics. And, and um, I kind of learned a lot from that process too. So yeah, my advice would be, you know, to definitely ask those, those, those tough questions right away. You got to look out for yourself as a volunteer um, mm-hmm. and, and make sure you're, you're trying to set yourself up in a situation to be financially stable. Um, but, but uh, yeah, I think for me, my year at Yale, I think actually your husband, Christian helped me a lot and put me in some of the, the kids clinics and, yeah. uh, and allowed me to coach some of the little, the, the kids teams there as well. So I was able to make ends meet a little bit there, but I also had a really supportive family that, that knew mm-hmm. that I wanted to do this for a living. And uh, yeah, they, they, they helped me out with rent every month and, and uh, mm-hmm. I made it work. But I remember I was, I was applying to, to grocery store jobs, like to work at, I think it's Kroger that was in, in, mm-hmm. in Connecticut. And uh, I was trying to do that. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, how hard I wanted to work, but I was like, if I work overnight, you'll never know. <laughs> You know? um, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think going into a volunteer position, it's really just about is the university set up to have those kinds of clinics. And, and if not, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what can they help you with outside of the university? And that's something I'm yeah. doing now at UAB. I've, I've been looking for a volunteer and I have, I have countless amounts of clubs that are like, yeah, I'll give you 20 hours. I'll give you 20 hours. So mm-hmm. I can definitely set someone up. I have a great situation right now to set someone up, uh, to be a volunteer because I've gone out to the clubs and, and made good relationships with them. So yeah, I think, I think just making sure you look out for yourself in terms of, in terms of looking for that, um, uh, that answer for how you're going to be financially stable. Yeah. But also it's, it's nice to have a little nest egg to, to, to be able to, to have time to, to acclimate. Uh, yeah. And, and then, uh, everything I did with, with your husband, Christian allowed me to meet a lot of people. And that's, that, that was most important is yeah. once you start meeting people there and you start getting more support, whether it be through lessons or going out for meals with people, mm-hmm. I, think, I think that makes life a little easier. So, yeah. Sure. Connect you to more people. So, yeah. And I feel like, you know, coaching, the coaching profession is so competitive now that for a lot of people that are just getting in, it used to be, you kind of would come in as an assistant coach and then maybe work your way up to a head coach Nowadays, I feel like more often people have to really be a volunteer for a year, sometimes even more, and then to an assistant and then to a head coach. So in terms of like setting aside the financial aspect of it, what advice would you give someone who is um, maybe going on interviews similar to what you did? Like what are what are the most important things you would say to them? Make sure you have this and this or look for these things in the program or the coach to get the most out of it. Yeah, I think, I think that's, you know, it, it's, I feel like it's probably similar to what recruits are doing these days too. You know, you're looking, you're looking to have a coach you can trust, but I think the most important thing is you, you have to have a coach that you believe will speak on your behalf. And, and, and I think, I think that is, uh, is something you want to believe, oh, if I go work for this person, it's going to happen. But you also have to kind of look at who, you know, who has worked for them in the past and and how have they gone on to, to, advance in their career. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think, I think looking at the landscape of the program, I mean, that's what I did with Yale. I was like, okay, you know, Danielle's been successful. She's had successful assistants. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously my goal was to come in and act like I was your assistant, not your volunteer assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I, I kind of looked at the people that had worked for you in the past. And if you have the ability to reach out to those people, I think it's really good because mm-hmm. the more information, the better. And then, uh, obviously looking at, you know, can we win the conference? Uh, are we a top ranked team? Will we, will we get to play NCAAs? 
right. all, that, all that stuff was extremely important to me. And, you know, at the time, Yale checked all those boxes. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think that's, that, I think that'd be my best advice when, when yeah. is, is really look at the landscape and the direction of the program. No, I think that's great. And I also, I know we handed over, I feel like a fair amount of responsibility um, to you as an, a volunteer. And I feel like that might be another thing to know is like, you know, what, 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 what would be my role as the volunteer? Like, will I get exposure to lots of different aspects of the program? Or do you really see me just doing this one specific thing? Like you mentioned, Claire was looking for more of a hitting, a hitting partner. Sure. You know? So I guess seeing what that experience will be like is also pretty good. That's, that's, that's a great point that, yeah, I probably, I probably missed on there, but, but yeah, just, uh, just being able to, to, with everything you handed off to me, it really helped me out a lot. And, and mm-hmm. I'll be honest, that's probably the hardest thing for me as a head coach is even mm-hmm. with my, my, my assistant, not even a volunteer, but my assistant, it's hard for me to hand things off. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I really appreciate that you were able to do a lot of that to me. And I, I think you, you mentioned that on some of our calls too. You're like, Hey, you're going to travel. You know, that's the other thing too. Some, some, yeah. don't travel, some don't get the gear, some don't. So, and that's just sometimes a budget issue and you have yeah. to understand that going in, but, um, and there's, there's perks to that too. You can stay on campus with the guys that are there and work with them um, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. the team's gone. But, but yeah, you told me I'd be full go. And I did, I got to see some, a lot of universities that I've never seen before. And, and, uh, I got to coach against some of the best coaches in the country right away. And, and uh, you gave me a lot of freedom to, to not only be on court, but also do a lot of things in the office that, that helped advance my career pretty quickly. Um, and we're always open to questions. So yeah, that's a big piece of how much, how much are they willing to hand off? Yeah. Something I'm, I should, I should learn from my own experience. I need to <laughs> it's hard to do though. Trust it, me. I know. It is. Um, okay. So, so you're at Yale, you wrap up that year and take us to your next stop and how do you get there? Yeah, so next stop was Williams College, division back to Division Three. But uh, I, I spent I spent all my summers for about four years uh, after North Florida uh, at Notre Dame, and one at Northwestern actually with Arvid Swan. Basically, I was at Notre Dame, and I remember getting uh, two interviews that summer, and one was for the assistant job at Harvard, and the other one was for the assist, and that was for the women's side, and then uh, it was the assistant for men and women at Williams College. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know, I knew nothing about Williams College. And then as I researched, I realized that, you know, Allison Swain had won a billion national championships. So, um, probably someone good to connect myself with. And uh, Dan Greenberg had won a national championship himself and had the team always in the top 10. So did the interviews on the same day um, in a dorm at, at Notre Dame. I did two interviews on, on Zoom and, or uh, Skype at the time. And uh you know, honestly, I just felt better right away about Williams. So, so I, I took my name out of the hat at Harvard right away, right after the interview, I was like, I just didn't, it didn't feel like the right fit for me at the time. And people might think, Hey, that's crazy. You had an assistant interview at Harvard. And I just decided, you know, I don't know, Williams seemed like the right place. And I remember first second guessing it and talking to Adam, because he was at Notre Dame at the time. Adam's like, oh, I think it's the right fit. I think, I think you're going to do great there. I think you guys are going to be the best team in the country every year. And I said, I looked at him and I said, actually, I can go win a national championship. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, said, I said, I'm going to go do that. And I called Allison and Dan. And um, uh, obviously, they, they had made me the offer a couple of days later. And I called them and uh, accepted that offer. And uh, that was the best decision I've made, I think, in coaching. Because I connected with two extremely great coaches and and learned a ton i mean learned more about myself <laughs> in mm-hmm. that process of just 
of just, you know, Allison was really good at, at keeping me on task and pushing me uh, to work hard on court, work hard in the office, work harder than I ever had. And Dan was good about taking me out. We'd go on walks. Like our office time was we'd go on walks and he would just play devil's advocate all the time. And that was so good for me because he, ne he didn't necessarily disagree with me, but he would disagree with me just to see my thoughts work from the other side of it. And, yeah. and I learned a lot. I learned a lot in that process. So so yeah, I end up at Williams College and, and working for two, uh, what I would say is legendary coaches, uh, Allison now at USC and Dan still crushing it at Williams. But I uh, did two years there and we did win a national championship in, in the first year there on the women's side. And, uh, you know, the only, the only thing I could say is Allison won a lot of them, but that was our first undefeated season. So we went 25 and 0 that season. But, uh, and then next year we lost in the, in the national championship to Emory on the women's side and on the men's, we, we always did pretty well, stayed top 10, but, but, uh, mm -hmm. didn't win it there. But, um, yeah, so did two years there and, and was really ready to get back into division one. And, uh, and I, I guess I should mention that while I was at Williams, cause we talked about this, you know, some D3 jobs, they didn't pay the highest. And, and, uh, I know that jobs come and become a much better job since then, but you know, I was, uh, working as a bartender <laughs> as well. So, so yeah, a lot of us had a lot of us assistants at Williams had second jobs and I was working as a bartender at night. Um, so, you know, it's just, I kind of always have to do what, what, what you need to do to make it work. But yeah, did that, did that, uh, three nights a week and, and made good money to be able to, to continue working towards my dream. So then, uh, yeah, I, I uh, started looking at division one jobs and I remember it's actually funny. I called, uh, Colin Foster, who is the women's Wichita state coach. Mm -hmm. And, um, I said, you know, I, I called him and asked him about the job because um, I had a connection to him and about the head job. And he had said, oh, we're getting interest from SEC assistance. And it's like, OK, I'm out. <laughs> um, so so I uh, looked around a lot for jobs that summer, interviewed for the women's head job at Seton Hall, um, ended up going against a, a, an NCAA All-American uh, for that job. So she, she from UCLA. So she she beat me out there and then uh, and then had an interview at Bucknell and uh, had a D2 Armstrong Atlantic, which doesn't exist anymore, but uh, went on the interview to Armstrong Atlantic and uh, just didn't seem like the right fit for me. Uh, great program. They had won a lot in D2, mm -hmm. but it just didn't seem like the best, next best step from Williams. And then I uh, had the interview at Bucknell for the head job, which I really, really wanted. It's very close to home. And I thought it was a great, great uh, opportunity for me. And um, as I went through the process, it just took some time. And then all of a sudden I get, I get a call from Danny Bryan because he was looking for an assistant at Wichita state. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, man, I was looking at the head job. Now I'm going to go be an assistant out in Wichita. Where's that? You know? Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I only knew them from, from, from basketball and all the success they had had there. But yeah, Danny called me. And, and I think the thing that really sold me right away is Danny cared so little about my playing background. And I still, this point after winning a national championship with Williams and and you know being with you as a volunteer I still had a lot of people just say you know oh you didn't play you know mm -hmm. we still want even our assistant to be a hitter and I mm -hmm. uh, still had some troubles and had a lot of no's um, for sure so Danny was just so he was like I want to know how you've gotten to the position where you know a coach from North Carolina and Notre Dame and Yale and all, all these players calling me telling me hire this guy, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I want to know why, because you didn't play junior tennis. How mm. do you make those connections? So I went through my story and just told them kind of everything I've told you guys today. And, and, um, 
he was just so intrigued by it. He's like, okay, this guy's looking to work and I'm a new head coach. Mm -hmm. It's my first time. And I want a guy that's looking to work hard. And mm -hmm. that was really all he cared about at the time. And uh, I really appreciated that. He was more amazed by my story and didn't think that it was possible um, <laughs> to, to get to that point. So, so I really appreciated that about Danny and will be forever, uh, forever thankful to Danny because uh, he definitely gave me my crack at division one uh -huh. and uh, uh, as a, as a full-time assistant. So so yeah, Danny offered me the position. And once again, I, I go a lot off feel and I feel like I've made all the right, the, the right moves so far. So uh, yeah, Danny, um, Danny offered me the position and I actually canceled my interview at Bucknell. And I thought it was good to go learn from a division one coach that's been mm -hmm. in the SEC instead of, instead of take over my own program at that time. Okay. Yep. So, so landed at Wichita and uh, did five years there. Mm -hmm. and, uh, now I'm here at UAB as the head coach starting my second year. So. Wow. I mean, it's really impressive. And I feel like the things that stand out when you talk about this, your story, um, obviously work ethic, you know, that that's been evident at every stop you've made. But there are a lot of hardworking coaches out there. I feel like what the other thing that stands out is just your willingness to put yourself out there and to really make connections with people and uh, like genuine connections, you know, and like, whether it's starting back with Adam at North Florida, I mean, just, you know, the pathway you've taken. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what do you think in terms of making connections and, and, and really investing in your own professional and personal development? What, what would you, what advice would you give coaches there? Yeah, I think, I think in this business, that's networking's number one. Um, I think that's what helped me the most. And that's what Adam kept saying. Adam, Adam told me all the time, get on the phone with coaches, call people, ask, email them, ask for a half hour of their time. And, and I did that. I did all that. And, and absolutely the number one thing that's helped me the most, not just to learn more about myself and how I wanted to be as an assistant. Cause I would ask those questions. Hey, how do you like your, like, how do you like your assistant to be set up? What should they be doing for you? But, but then at the, at the same time, you know, I would be, I would be connecting with people who could not only give me these great answers, but also be a resource for me down the road. Mm -hmm. um, so, so when I was at Williams, I, I shadowed Sam Paul and Trip Phillips at North Carolina. Um, I went down for two weeks in January because in D3, we weren't allowed to start till February. So I got to shadow their program. I got to, while at Williams, I got to shadow uh, Jenny Mains, is it Mains? Mines at, mm -hmm. at Alabama. So got to shadow her for, for a week as we went down there with our team. And then uh, obviously spent all my summers at Notre Dame shadowing that program with Ryan Satchery, Chris James, and mm -hmm. Adam Sheckerly. So did all that and uh, had a couple other stops along the way where I just met a lot of people, but also you know got on the phone with Brian Calvis and, and asked him a lot of questions about, about how he wanted things set up for his assistant. And um, so all these, all these great coaches have been, have been great resources for me along the way. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I've done that, you know, countless amount of times I can keep going on with the, the connections I've made, but, but that's, what's been great for me is, is before I was exposed to division one tennis, I had a great network in division one because mm -hmm. I just called. And, and that's the thing I think young coaches need to know is, is coaches want to share their story and they want to help. And mm -hmm. I feel like when I came from a small town where everybody was fighting for a little couple lessons and, and we were high school coaches who felt like we were rivals, it, it didn't feel that way. And mm -hmm. I wasn't ready for that initially, but Adam made me ready for that. He told me, Hey, these, you know, you need to reach out to coaches. They're going to help you. Yeah. Um, so I didn't realize how much I would, people would kind of have open arms to talk to me about all these things. So, 
so yeah, that was that networking is is number one, and uh, just just setting yourself up to to make those phone calls and learn from coaches. And even this summer, this past summer, I I talked to to Dustin Taylor, who was with Virginia for all their national championships, and now the head coach at Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. And uh, just speaking with him for for a half hour, you know, changed my view on a lot of things and and yeah. gave me a lot of good perspective. So so you just don't you know don't shy away from those those half hour conversations or even ten minute conversations because they could make a difference. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Always be eager to learn. I guess is yeah. It's really important. So, okay. So you've coached high school tennis, college tennis, Division One, Division Three, men, women. Uh, you've kind of done it all. Been a volunteer, an assistant, and now a head coach when you reflect on all of those positions and those experiences, what do you think are like some of the fundamental qualities of being a great coach? And also just in working and learning from the coaches you just mentioned, like set aside like knowledge of X's and O's. Um, what do you think makes a great coach? Yeah, I think, I really think it's making a personal connection with your athletes. Um, that That's pretty much number one for me. And I think this is always tricky because we have to do it and create boundaries, obviously. But the times that I've been able to really, I feel like, enjoy my job and, and get through to my athletes the most is those one, those ones that I took the time to make that connection with. Mm-hmm. And I, I I sometimes think back and said and and I get a little upset that I didn't quite do that at all the stops as well as I could have. But um, this is something that Dan Greenberg at Williams is really good about. He always had he always had lunch with his athletes and. And it was, you know, they always came into the conversation and thought, oh, coach, my tennis. And he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. He's like, how's school going? You know, mm-hmm. how, how, how's your family? Asking, asking those right questions and, and really learning about, about the, the athlete uh, or more of the student and, and the person. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that was really, really good for me um, to see. And now that's something I do a lot. I try to make those personal connections. I try to, I try to really have an interest in, uh, my kids life at home and, 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 uh, also as a student. And then, uh, the other thing that that allowed me to do is also listen to my athletes more. And this translated on the court a lot. When I was a young assistant who probably couldn't hit a forehand over the net, I, I, uh, I thought that I needed to know it all because I wasn't a good player. Uh So, so I would, I would definitely, tell my guys a drill, tell my girls a drill, and then tell them like, that's how it's going to be. And they'd be like, well, why don't we do it? And I'd be like, no, not mm-hmm. going to do it. And, and, and that was a big mistake I made, a massive mm-hmm. mistake. I didn't listen to my players because what you learn in these meetings when you're sitting down or these lunches and you get to know people on a personal level is they all need to be coached a little differently. Mm-hmm. So we're not just a touring coach that coaches one person. We're coaching, you know, eight, 10, 12. And mm-hmm. we need to know what all of those people need and what they don't need. And and I had guys that had been playing tennis for 15 years and I had been coaching for three and I was trying to tell them, no, 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 you need to do it this way. And they're trying to just give me what I thought was combative feedback. Mm-hmm. It was actually just good feedback of what yeah. they needed. And uh, I took it the wrong way. So, so yeah, I think across the board, making that personal connection, really understanding your athletes and what they need. And, and the last thing is really being able to listen to them because yeah. um, they, they, a lot of them really know what they need. And, uh, and, and once you, once you've listened, then you can, you can kind of elaborate for them. Yeah. You know, you need to, you need, you don't need to kind of coach at them. You need to coach for them and, and listen. Yeah. No, oh, that's great advice. Um, the legendary, uh, athletic director at Yale, who, you know, Tom Beckett 
Yep. He used to say to head coaches all the time, like every head coaches meeting, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I, I mean, that stuck with me since then. And it, it sounds cliche, but I think it's just, it's so true, you know, especially for this generation of younger student athletes. So, yeah, that's great. Uh, I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit now because um, there's another side of your tennis story that I don't think as many people know about, which is your involvement in wheelchair tennis. Um, So talk to us about that. How did you get involved in coaching wheelchair tennis and what are you doing these days in that space? Sure. Sure. So one of my stops, Wichita state, um, our volunteer assistant is Nick Taylor. Um, and Nick Taylor is a now retired wheelchair tennis player. Um, and he, man, I can't even remember. I think he's got four, three or four gold medals. Uh, he's got a bunch of us open titles. He's been to every grand slam. He's been to multiple mm-hmm. Paralympics, obviously. Um, but he's, uh, very established in the wheelchair tennis, uh, uh, realm. And, uh, he, kind of obviously I started seeing him play and he was still training when I was at Wichita and I was really intrigued by it and uh, would hit with him some. And then he said, you know, I started this kid named Casey Ratsliff here. He's a kid from Wichita. Mm -hmm. And I started him when he was 12. And at this time he was probably about 18. And uh, he said, he's been working with a different coach, but that coach is kind of running out of time for him. And he's, he's running a whole, you know, uh, club on his own. So He's like, I think it'd be good for you to meet him. And uh, it's my second year at Wichita. So I remember Casey wheeled out to the courts, the 18 year old kid. And, and I started hitting with them. And I understood a little bit about the game from Nick and the year I spent with him, um, mm-hmm. but not, not a ton. And uh, just, it, it turned out that I just kind of hit with Casey once a week for a couple of weeks. And then it was like, okay, can you hit twice? Can you hit three times? Okay. What do you think about going to a tournament with them? And uh, that's kind of how how that happened, how I got into it. Um, and then with Casey, it's been, it's been a great ride. When I met him, he was 33 in the world. And now he sits at 16 in the world. Um, he's the number one American uh, wheelchair tennis player. And it's important to, to, to know that there's two divisions. There's a quad division, which is a higher level of disability, which Nick Taylor played in. And there's the men's and women's open, which is um, just, you know, a, a, a lower level uh, disability, but mm-hmm. still confined to a chair usually. Um, so Casey's in the in the he's got a lower uh, level disability. He's a, he has he was born with spina bifida, but he's uh, a lot of people think they have to they have to baby Casey, but but Casey's stronger than me up top, and uh, you know he can get around pretty well on his own, um, and he can hit a tennis ball just as hard as me or harder than me. Um, and, uh, it's been, it's been really great coaching him for the past four and a half years now. Actually, we're almost on five years. He, he moved here to UAB with me and he became uh, a volunteer on our staff. So, so he's a volunteer assistant here and, uh, helps us out with the program when he's, when he's in town, but he travels to, uh, all over the world to play tennis, just like, just like all the people torn on the ITF tours. Now, um, they're, they're an ITF, uh, sponsored, uh, tour. So, yeah, Casey, Casey's done a great job. He played the U S open for his third time this past year. And, uh, I've got to go with him to those three and got to see him really jump from, from, you know, 32 in the world to 15 to hopefully what we're working for is top 10. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that was kind of my, my, uh, my entryway in through Nick, uh, with Casey. And and I'm really happy that, that Casey moved here and I get to still do that. So yeah, I, 
along with coaching the guys, uh, me and my assistant uh, work with Casey as well. And uh, yeah, a lot of people ask the question and maybe you were going to ask it, but they ask, uh, you know, how is it different or, yeah. or, or how is it, uh, is it the same? And, and it's really, really similar. And every single person that I hand Casey off to, to hit with, they always say, wow, I can't believe how good he hits the ball. And it's just like, like I was getting a workout and it's just like hitting with, and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really the same. The only two differences um, are that the players get two bounces. Um, mm -hmm. So, so the first one obviously has to be in the, the regular playing field. And the second one could be in the, in the playing field as well or outside. And, and it just allows them a little bit more time to get to the ball. The top players uh, where Casey's at now pretty much take it on one. So, yeah. wow. so they're, they're quick enough in the chair that they pretty much take it on one. And yeah, some drop shots or some balls that really stretch them. If they can get there on two, that they will. But at this level, it's pretty much all on one. And then the other biggest thing is that they have to turn their back to the court to recover. And we, we never have to do that. So obviously we would never turn our back to the court. So you have to get used to someone turning their back to the court to recover and then looking over their shoulder to kind of see, okay, am I breaking right or left to go get that next shot? So that's really the, the, only, the only two differences, I would say. Everything else, so similar. I mean, you're, gonna, you're, obviously, you're obviously coaching a little bit more uh, with how do, you, how do you load your arm and how do you use your core more than your legs and all that. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, it's, it's really not that much different. Wow. So does he hit with any of the guys on your team? Yeah, we've done that at Wichita. We've done that here. Um, actually, we, we had Casey play a UTR tournament and we asked UTR and they said, yeah, just use the USTA wheelchair rules. Um, okay. And, and we, we let everybody know he played a men's open UTR tournament and uh, he beat a 5.5 UTR. And, and then uh, he went on to play an eight and the eight beat him pretty well. But but uh, yeah. Casey, Casey's UTR right now, he actually has one. It sits at about six. So, so yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. I think it, it'd be, it'd be really cool to see, you know, I know UTR does a great job of, of kind of level-based play and it would be great to, to see them integrate wheelchair more and have all the wheelchair players with the UTR and get them into the tournaments. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, he can, he can hit with our guys. I've, I've, especially when I've done days where like we're hitting on the ball machine and because mm -hmm. he can deal with the same level ball that my guys can deal with. Um, so we'll do that a lot. He'll hit serves to the guys and guys will hit serves to him and he can mm -hmm. deal with all that because the top servers in wheelchair, they're serving hundred miles an hour. So, wow. so there, there's some guys that can get it up to hundred or, or, or maybe low nineties consistently. Yeah, that's incredible. So I know that, um, several schools in the country have college, uh, wheelchair teams, Yep. And I think the goal is to ultimately have an NCAA championship for wheelchair tennis, which would be amazing. I think right down the road from me, the University of Alabama might be one of the most successful, if not the most successful collegiate wheelchair team. So it, I don't know, wearing both your college tennis hat and the wheelchair tennis coach hat, like, can you envision a, a, a way that we could um, even integrate wheelchair tennis into the college tennis world? better or, or more? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think that's something that Jason Harnett at the USTA is doing a great job of. Um, and uh, Evan Inquist, who's the coach at Alabama, he's, he's doing a great job. And it's, you know, it's kind of funny. It's, it's an interesting position for Evan because I feel like Evan is doing so much to push the sport forward and, and start other programs at other universities. Mm -hmm. But obviously he needs to, to be the head coach at Alabama and try to, yeah. try to beat those other teams. Uh, that are out there, um, but but they're doing a great job to push it forward, and and I I absolutely could see it uh, 
integrated more in college tennis. I think, you know, there's, there's little things they're doing. They're doing so much that I, I can't keep track of it, but I know they're, they're trying to have a wheelchair exhibition at NCAAs. Um, right. You know, they've had them at Davis cup. They've had them uh, when, when it's in the United States and um, they, they keep pushing programs. Like you said, Alabama is the biggest program, but uh, San Diego state has one, Arizona, Virginia tech just started one. Michigan yes. state has one. I'm definitely leaving some out, but Clemson, uh, UT Arlington, there's, there's quite a few that have a good yeah. adaptive sport, uh, adaptive sport clubs and, and, and mm -hmm. those club teams turn into pretty much varsity sport teams. So, so yeah, I do think, I do think there's, I would love to see it happen more, uh, and be, be integrated more into collegiate tennis. I think it's really possible. I think there's, there's enough kids out there. If you go look at uh, uh, wheelchair basketball, there's there's mm -hmm. you know, thousands and thousands of kids playing that. And I think tennis, tennis, we'd really just need to push, you know, for every for every basketball team, we need to push two kids from that team towards tennis. And yeah, that's that's going to help us grow exponentially. So so I would love to see that. And I would love to see uh, definitely athletic directors get on board with, hey, let's let's get an adaptive team in here. And mm -hmm. and, you know, trust me, if they if they see me standing up hitting with Casey, they're going to be like, okay, we want this sport because yeah, yeah every time I'm telling you, every time someone sees Casey hit a ball, they're, they're, they're wild. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Uh, it really is. And I know the ITA is, is really partnering with the USTA to see how we can, we can help grow collegiate wheelchair tennis, because you're right. There are so many um, young players playing junior tournaments, wheelchair tennis tournaments. Like, you know, we need a pathway for them too to be able to play in college, not just able-bodied um, players. So. Sure. And, and something else that the, the, they did this year is they, they had the first U S open junior draw. Um, wow. it, was, it was eight players. Um, the wheelchair draws are usually a little smaller, but mm -hmm. the, the U.S. Open was the first tournament to go up to 16 uh, for the men and women. So the top 16 get in. And then this is the first year they've done eight junior women and eight junior uh, men. Wow. So, 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 yeah, they've had those draws. And now it's, it's been really cool because I'm there with Casey, but as a college coach, kind of watching some of the, college, the, the junior yeah. able-bodied players. But then I see Evan there from Alabama and he's watching the junior, you know, the junior uh, wheelchair players and, yeah. and he's got a college coaching credential. And I think that part is so cool that, you know, we can have these maybe 10 or 12 programs that have a, a, a wheelchair uh, team right now. They can they can come get a credential and they can watch mm -hmm. the top players in the world and try to get them just like we are doing as, as college coaches on the able body side. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's great. Great job. Thanks for sharing that. Um, well, Justin, this has been such a treat. It's so awesome to reconnect with you and thanks for sharing your story. I think that uh, inevitably almost every coach in America can relate to some something in your story here. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing it and I wish you all the best at UAB. I'll be following. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, and, and thanks for uh, having me on your staff at Yale. I appreciate that. It was a win for us. <laughs> so, thanks, Justin. Thanks, Danielle.